Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teaching from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by our sermon series, Difference Makers, Women Chosen by God. Learn with us about how often overlooked women make a difference in the world around them through the power of God. Find out more about this or any of our sermons at www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. Lord, as we settle our hearts, we try to erase all the other things that are going on in our lives for the moment, to focus in on your Word because we need the encouragement that it provides, or sometimes the conviction that it provides, or sometimes the direction that it provides. And Lord, you know the hearts of each person that's here and what they're coming with, with their needs, and and so we ask, Lord, that you would do that special miracle you do when we open your Word to touch our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a Mac guy. I love my Mac toys. I've got a Mac watch. I've got, a, I've got my uh, phone. I've got my iPad that I actually run the presentation with on Sunday morning. I, um, I enjoy my Mac toys until I get the little colorful wheel on my computer that freezes my computer and I can't do anything and I'm stuck. And I know then I have to reset my computer. I have to restart it. And when I restart it, what happens is the code is able to form again from the beginning up and create a, a clean program. Because what happens in life is, is that the applications start to conflict with each other and, and we end up with that wheel of death. Uh, and I, I think there's some similarities between that and our Christian life. You know, when God created the world, he created this beautiful place, this Garden of Eden and this world, but it was soon broken by sin. And sin, as it develops, starts to corrupt things. And so we have this wheel of death that we even see in our lives today. People who are addicted, they see, oh, there's the wheel of death. Or we see people who are overcome by anxiety, oh, there's the wheel of death. Or marriages that are being troubled, oh, there's the wheel of death. Or finances that are struggling, oh, there's the wheel of death. And, and when we see that brokenness that exists in our world, we need to reset our lives. We need to restart our computers, so to speak. It doesn't mean that all the problems go away, but it does allow us to come fresh in the way we approach them. You see, there is another system trying to reset our world. It's called worldliness or the world system. The world system is a collection of people who are trying to organize the world without the light of God's Word. And as they do, they continually end up with problems, problems that show this day one. They, uh, they read the Scriptures and studied them in small groups, it seems, as it was all explained to them, um, for about four or five hours. It was like a retreat experience for them as we're getting to know God's Word. That was day one. And when they saw God's Word, they were grieving about it, and they said, oh, man, we've really made some mistakes here. And Nehemiah's response, remember, was, don't grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So they're resetting themselves. That was day one. I know you're eager to see the next day. That's day two. That's what we're going to look at today. What happens to these people now on day two? They go to this big retreat experience on day one, and then what do they do on day two? I know you're eager to get into God's Word as I am, so let me read these six verses starting in verse 13. Would you please stand with me in honor of God's Word? Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verse 13. On the second day, The heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the word of the law. 
And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua the son of Nun to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. According to the rule. You may be seated. Let's just take that last word, the rule. According to the rule. You can circle that word and draw a line across to the other page and write the word shafat, because that's the Hebrew word, shafat. You can write it in the margin of your Bible if you want, but it's the word shafat. It is the word rule. It's a word used hundreds of times in the Bible because the Bible has all of these rules, or code, shall I say, the codes that will help us to be successful in life. The Bible contains this code, and so the people are finding this, discovering this, and it becomes very significant for them to understand it and grasp it and put it into practice in their lives. The code, the rule. Young people, there is one chapter in the Bible you don't want to miss. In fact, I would suggest this is the preeminent chapter for young people in the whole Bible. Write it down, Psalm 119. It has 176 verses. You're not just going to read it in one setting. You could. But you're going to gain the most of it if you read the stanzas. You'll see it's broken up in the scriptures into stanzas of a few verses in each stanza all the way to verse 176. The word shaphat is used 23 times in this one chapter of the Bible, describing the rules so that we understand these rules and we know how to live. If you know how to to, if you know what the rules are of life and you start ordering your life according to the rules, then you will experience the blessing of God. I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect. I'm not even saying the consequences of sins that you have are going to go away. What I'm saying is that you'll know how to approach life in a completely different way because you understand the rules. You understand what God is doing and how he designed the world. The rules. We have to know the rules, because they help us to rebuild that code inside of our hearts. Let's go back to the first part of the passage. It says, on the second day. So this is the day after. If you, if you imagine that this first day was this big retreat, or maybe even we can imagine for us, it might be a Sunday morning experience because you go and you worship the Lord, and then you hear the Bible taught, and you go to your Sunday school classes or whatever it might be, and you're there for several hours in your experience and learning about the Lord. This is like Monday morning. This is like, I want more. And notice who's coming together to get this information. It is the heads of the households. The dads are coming together in order to, we want more. we got to understand more of what's going on here. So they come together and notice what they did. They came together in order to study the words of the law. Why? Because they already discovered some things in, the, in God's word they knew were important and valuable, that they needed. 
it whetted their appetite so that they could gain greater understanding. Well, I want more of this. That's how our attitude should be as we look at God's word because we're trying to understand it. And so here we have these heads of households coming together and they're coming together to study the words of the Lord and notice what happens in the next verse. I'm just going to circle this. You, I would encourage you to circle it too. They found it. They found it. Don't you wish that would happen to you? Sometimes you go, oh, my life is struggling in a number of different ways. I found it. Where did they find it? They found it in God's word. That's what happens when you study the word. You find it. Now, there's two ways that we use this word find in the Bible. One is uh, the idea of to find it accidentally. And that does happen in the Bible. You can open it up and you go, whoa, I didn't know that verse was there. It's used that way. In a story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings where Hilkiah the priest was told by Josiah, the new young um, king, he was only 26 years old when he gave this assignment, go clean up that temple. I want to know more about the temple. So Hilkiah the priest goes in and starts cleaning up the temple and, getting, and he finds, he discovers the word of God. He brings it back and Josiah is so excited, read it to me, he says. And, and so you can read about that in the book of 2 Kings. He found it somewhat accidentally. But there's other times when we know something's in there and we go in there because we know we're going to find something. And that's what happens many times as we study the Bible, as we look at it. If you look at Psalm 119, I tell you, you're going to find something very valuable there for yourself. You're going to go there looking for something and God will use it to reset you, reset your day, move you in a direction. How are we going to reset ourselves? How are we going to get God's Word into us to rebuild the code inside? Let me tell you a story about John Burke. Now, John Burke is the pastor of Graceway. Uh, Grace, that's Graceway. Do you remember the name of that church? It's in Austin, Texas. I got Graceway on the brain here. Um, It wasn't a Calvary Chapel. It was a Grace something. Anyway, he was, uh, he's this pastor of this church, and he works with a lot of young people, and uh, he wanted to help them to be able to reset themselves, to be, able to, um, to be able to get God's Word into their lives. So he encourages all of the people in their church to take the 60-60 experiment. For 60 days, on each one of those days, every 60 minutes, you have your watch beep or, and, it, and uh, look at a scripture. In fact, he's created an app called Soul Revolution. I'd encourage you to go get the app. My wife did this week. She went and got the app. And so every 60 minutes, the, uh, her watch beeps, and she looks at, at her phone, I guess. So she looks at her phone, and, and it gives her the verse. So well, I said at one point, her watch, her phone beeped, and I said, um, well, what does it say in this week? And she said, it's that verse about uh, the comforter will come, and the comforter will uh, will." enlighten you about all things. I'm thinking, wow, what a great verse to have. Every 60 minutes. I mean, some of us do well if we have a Bible study at some point in the course of the week. Every 60 minutes, reset yourself because what you want to do is you want the code to rebuild inside of your life. Where does that code come from? It comes from God's Word, so we embed ourselves in God's Word in order to do that. I encourage you to, to try that, to find it, to discover what God might do in your life. Well, let's figure out what they found. Let's go with, with the uh, believers there. As they open up the Word, it's going to affect their daytimer now, their planner. It's going to affect their calendar and their to-do list. That's what the Bible should do in our lives. They open it up, and they start reading, and they learn about this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. 
We haven't celebrated that. Well, look at that. Isn't it interesting? It's supposed to happen in the seventh month. This is the seventh month. Wow, remarkable, isn't it, how God's Word changes us in the moment? They say, well, we're going to go do this. We're going to go and, and celebrate the Feast of Booths. When I saw this passage last Sunday when I opened the Bible and I saw, oh, this is what I'm going to be teaching on, I said, Lord, uh, I want to ask you to bring me across a Jewish person this week because the Jews celebrate this even today, and I want to hear how they do this, how this family or whoever I talk to, how they celebrate this. And so uh, I'm on the lookout. So Monday morning I go to the gym and I see my answer to prayer. He's right there. There's a guy, head covering, big gray beard. And so I go up to him and I say, um, are you Jewish? He says, no, I'm Sikh. I said, oh, well, you're not going to be able to help me. <laughs> but I made a friend at the gym on, on Monday. On Tuesday, <laughs> on Tuesday, I was in a Zoom meeting with faith leaders in the, in the community of all kinds of different denominations, churches, whatever. And there is a Jewish rabbi in the Zoom meeting. His name was, is Rabbi Yaakov. And so um, at the end of our Zoom meeting, I said, uh, Rabbi, could you stay a little bit later after the Zoom meeting over so I can ask you a question? He said, sure. So he and I are on this Zoom meeting now, and he's got his kids all crawling all over him while he's talking to me. And I said, uh, I'm going to teach this Sunday about Sukkot. Sukkot is the name for this particular feast. Could you tell me how you celebrate Sukkot? And oh, he was delighted to tell me. And here's what he said. The most important thing you need to remember about Sukkot is it is a feast of rejoicing. It is a feast of joy. Because we just came off of two holidays. The second one, Yom Kippur, is a very solemn holiday. And so now we're in this feast of rejoicing, which reminds me of the text there. And it says there in, in verse 17, and there was great rejoicing. He says, and I, he says, um, so what we do is we go out and build this hut uh, somewhere. It has to be, in, uh, the only thing above it can be the sky. It has to be under the sky. And it has three sides, and we put all kinds of branches on top. It has to be leafy branches on top. And uh, I don't sleep in the Sukkot, he said, but I, all the food and water and drink that I have in the course of those days takes place in the Sukkot. We come in there, we play games, we tell stories, we entertain people. It's all about the Sukkot. And so um, he told me a story about one man who immigrated to the United States, a Jewish man, and he came to this festival. He lives in the sixth floor of an apartment building. Where is he going to put his Sukkot? He ended up putting it out on the fire escape because it would be out in, under, the, uh, under the sky. And so I said to him, now, um, are the children involved in this somehow? I'm leading him because I know the children involved, but I'm leading him. Are the children involved somehow? He says, he looks at me strange, and he says, children are involved in everything we do in Judaism. He said, all the celebrations we have, Sabbath day, pa Passover, all of these celebrations involve the children. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe that's why Jewish kids, as they're growing up, are a, keep their faith better than Christian kids sometimes. Because in the Jewish home, they have it all in the home. It's all about the home developing these children spiritually. In the Christian faith, we tend to delegate to the church, to Awana, to youth group, and other kinds of places, which are good. But it's really the combination of the church and the home that must energize our Christian kids in order to keep their faith and to be able to move forward in their lives. They go out into the Sukkot and they tell stories. In fact, let me show you some pictures of some, some uh, Sukkot huts. This is uh, one example 
And in fact, if you saw in our passage, they were in the gate of Ephraim, and they were at the water gate. They were in these different places. It was decorating the whole community. It reminds me kind of of our Christmas when people put up lights here and there, and you look around at all the decorations. That's what they did at Sukkot. They put these booths out even in public places so people would uh, remember the Lord. Here's another picture of a Sukkot. A family builds them, gathers all the branches together, and puts them together. Here's yet another one. And now in this one, you can't see this, but in the back of this fabric, this is a modern-day one where you buy the fabric and put it around, there are these markings at the bottom which are Bible stories, and you can see the pictures of the stories there so that the, the uh, family will have a discussion about what God did. You see, the whole uh, Sukkot experience, the Feast of Booths, goes on for seven days, and it's to celebrate the uh, fact that we've left Egypt, we've left the world, and now we're sojourners in a land that's not our own on our way to the promised land. It's a beautiful picture of Christianity, that we are sojourners, and we're on our way uh, to the promised land that God has provided for us. And on the way, we need to pause every once in a while, and we need to remind ourselves we are just sojourners in this land. And that's what they would do. They would remind themselves that God took care of them. Their lives were different than in Egypt. Now they're living a different kind of life as they're moving toward the promised land. As we think about passing the faith onto the next generation, let's ask the question, whose responsibility is it? Now, we see in the passage that the heads of the households got together to figure out what to do, and they discovered this, and they went back and, and articulated this and practiced it. I, so I do think that uh, dads take a great form of leadership in a home. But if the dad's not doing it, then moms take a leadership role in the house, and they are passing the faith on to their children. But who initiates this. This is what's fascinating to me, okay? When I'm going to take you to another Bible story. Let's take the story of another big celebration because Joshua, who's mentioned in this passage, Joshua, he uh, takes the people across the Jordan River and the Jordan River opens up and all the people walk across the Jordan River. And Joshua says, hey, wait, 12 of you guys go back and get some stones out of the middle of the Jordan River. I want you to get those stones and I want you to pile them up over here on the ground and I want you to pile them up so that let me show you the scripture. It says, so that when your children ask, I just want to point out here that young people and children, you have a job to do. Your job is to ask the questions. Do you know, children and young people, why your parents chose Jesus Christ? Do you know what led them to that decision to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? It's your job to ask the question. Do you know why? Your parents chose Graceway Bible Church to be their church. It's your job to ask the question. What a great question is to ask your parents to learn from them. Notice it says there, when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Isn't that interesting? Not just what do these stones mean. What do they mean to you? Notice that the young people are asking the questions. I think our young people need to ask more questions of their parents and other leaders. Why? Why are you choosing Jesus? Why are you choosing to follow Christ? Because when they ask the questions, then they learn more about the code. Because we live in a world that is throwing all kinds of code out there that has all kinds of bugs in it and all kinds of death wheels that exist. You don't want to be involved in that code. 
you want to be involved in the code that Jesus Christ has established in our lives and that now we have in the scriptures written for us. Let me finish this story. He says, Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. I really, I, I like what is happening here because in this passage and in our Nehemiah passage, the faith is being passed on to the next generation as God has designed it to be. In the home, it's, it, it's in the home where we learn all kinds of things. It's like, I like to say, it's like driver education. You can go to church, it's like uh, reading the book and, and learning about the signs and the rules of the game of, of driving and how the law is implemented and the signs and what they look like. You can learn all of that by coming to church. But if you want to know how life is lived, you find that out at home. How do we deal with emotions in our lives from a biblical perspective? How do we deal with our money? How do we make decisions in our lives? How do we integrate God into the very fabric of our lives? How do we have a fragrance of the Lord in a home? That's where it's learned. It's learned at home. I know as parents, I know many of you are parents, and we want the best for our children. We want our children to grow up to be well-adjusted. We want them to be mature. We want them to have a good self-concept. We want them to be confident people. We want them to be happy. We want them to enjoy life. And as we sit here in this moment, in this morning, we say, what is it going to take to help our child to be that? And we all know, as we sit here, that really, if they're going to have all of these good things, it's going to be if their life is centered on Jesus Christ, if they're following the Lord in their lives. Yet, sometimes when we start arranging our kids' schedules, our children start gravitating toward things that will take them away from church activities. They'll end up finding themselves on travel teams or, or projects that take them away from our Sunday morning experience. Is it wrong to not come to church? Well, I think we have freedom in Christ to miss a service for very various reasons. But if you make a habit of missing services, then what happens is you communicate a message. And this is the message we sometimes communicate to our kids. We say... Church and Christianity is uh, important if you have time, if you can fit it in. But if you can't fit it in, then, well, enjoy life, and we'll fit it in later on in your life. And, and sometimes we have kids who get to be 14, 15 years old. They're really good at a sport, but inside their hearts are not following the Lord. And so they have a real hard time with the code because there's a lot of code out there that's directing the traffic of life. We must reset the code in our lives. And so the passage ends in Nehemiah 8. It says, they kept all of these things according to the rule. According to the rule. See, God has laid out the code for us so that we can follow him and we know where we're going in life. How are we going to help our young people today who are facing pretty significant challenges in our world? How are we going to help them understand that marriage is a valuable thing in a person's life and how important marriage is. How are we going to help them understand that children are very important and valuable? How are we going to help them understand that sex is important and valuable? Because in our world, they have different ways they're talking about all of these things. Marriage is optional. Children are in the way. 
that sex is just a biological thing that takes place. But what we're saying is, and what God says, is that this relationship that a person has, a sexual relationship, is very significant. It's very important, so special that we save it for some very special place in marriage. How are we going to help our young people grasp this idea? It's found in the code. It's found in God's Word as we dig into God's Word and we see it. We must help our young people grasp this idea. And young people, I would encourage you to understand the code. Where are you going to find out the code? You're not going to just find it by attending here. You'll hear about it here, but you're going to find it in your own personal walk, in your own personal Bible study. As you open the Bible regularly and you, you understand what God has for you personally, let's come and talk about it together as we get together, but spend time on your own studying God's Word because that's where the code is. One of the things we find in this passage is that the people are doing this kind of remedial work. They're looking at their lives and they're saying, you know what? I'm looking at the Bible and I'm saying, I'm seeing that it's not really affecting me the way it should, and so I'm going to make it more prominent in my life. I'm going to dig in and I'm going to change my life accordingly. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're, following, you're tracking me, right? That the, God created the world in this beautiful way and then sin starts to corrupt it and we see all these death um, wheels going on in life. People are in all kinds of trouble. I want you to know that God created the solution in order to reset. That solution is a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It's asking Jesus Christ to come into your life and reset you. And the Bible says all things are passed away, all things become new. And then you start on this pilgrimage of reset by reading God's Word and trying to understand what it means and apply it to your life so that you can rebuild the code in a way that will allow you to be successful in life. I'm not talking about money success. I'm talking about having that joy that God wants you to have even amidst the brokenness that you experience. You're going to experience brokenness in this world. But how you respond to that is optional. And God has a code. And that code is found in His Word. And that's the beauty of this passage, that these people are committed to the reset in their lives. Amen? Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.